to this country about five and a half years ago. Um, I was jet lagged and tired. Uh, my third born Eliana was getting up at like three in the morning and, you know, being the outstanding husband that I am and father, I said, I got this, honey, I got this, you know. Well, I mean, I'm the one that dragged us all out here anyway, so, you know, I got this. And anyway, uh, you know, you get up at three in the morning, well, 6, 6 a.m. rolls around and most of the cafes are starting to open, so you're, you're still tired and you want a coffee, maybe your second or third coffee. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm just going to take, take little Ellie with me. At the time, she was only like one and a half, give or take. Um, and so, you know, put her car seat in the back and got in the car. And, and, you know, I'm still tired, right? And so I'm still rubbing my eyes, ugh, still trying to wake up and still trying to adjust to driving on the left side of the road. Okay, so it's, it's still somewhat, you know, the sun's still coming up, and, and now I'm used to, when you make a left turn, what you do is you don't hug left immediately because you're driving the right-hand side of the road, you go around the medium strip. You get me? So instead of just go, you don't go quick turn, you go, like all sensible people do, no, I'm just kidding, no, but you go around the medium strip, okay? Now, when you're tired and you've been up since three in the morning and you're still jet lagged and you haven't had a coffee, what are you gonna naturally do? You're gonna go to what you're used to doing, right? So, I go around the medium strip with my little Ellie in the back and we're driving down the road. Thankfully, there's no cars on the road, but there's a few people, right, on the footpath. And some of them start going, and I'm going, hey, look how nice people are here, you know, it's like, wow, the, this is, the Aussies are so nice, you know, it's like, hey, you know, keep driving, trying to mess with the radio, you know, oh, this is interesting, that's another person waving at us, like, and then the penny drops, <gasps> I'm on the wrong side of the road, and so, what do I have to do? Chuck a Yui, right? So I quickly did a U-turn, and... When I got to the cafe, I was chatting with the bloke there, and I said, oh my goodness, he's like, oh, you know, you look tired, da, da, da. I said, oh, man, I'm like, still kind of shooken up, like, I was just, we could have died, and, and this is Brisbane, it's not like, there's a lot of people, thankfully there's no one on the road then, this is like on a Saturday or whatever it was, and so he said, oh yeah, you had to chuck a yui, didn't ya? <laughs> and I was like, sorry? Yeah, chuck a yui. And I was like, no comprende español, señor. I, I, uh, I don't know what. And, and I, I said, oh, Yui, you mean like do a U-turn. I was like, that's, that's so creative. Like Chuck a Yui, I, I love it. I think that's, I'm stealing that one, right? And so I was thinking about it, though. You know, life is like that. We, we are actually, in reality, we're born God-hating. We're, we're born depraved, and we like to go our own way. In fact, we insist on it, but here's the deal. The end of that road leads to destruction. There's oncoming traffic, as it were. We will die. That's why Christ calls us to chuck a Yui, turn from our way, turn from our sin, turn from even trusting in ourselves that, you know, we got the right way, we're good, we're nice, we have good intentions. Chuck a Yui and turn to Him. 
And today, that's what we come to in the book of Jonah, is this idea of chucking a yui, of, of doing this thing called repentance. In fact, if you look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, I realize that we're going to go through it chronologically, but there's a little tailpiece that's key to understanding this whole chapter. Notice the little interpretation, the explanation of this whole chapter in verse 10. When God saw what they did, that being the Ninevites, they chucked a yui, right? How they, notice, turned. You see that word? That, that, that means shav. It means to turn, literally. That's just, it's, to, it's to do a turnabout, to chuck a yui. When they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. That is repentance. Repentance. Now, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you hear the word repentance. Maybe in today's culture, it, it comes, it's a loaded phrase. You might imagine someone outside of a stadium screaming at people with a sandwich board, repent, right? Or someone on the street. You might imagine a fiery Baptist preacher, turn or burn, or, or you might even think, oh, well, I'm, I'm a little bit more, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not that. I don't have those kind of ideas in my head, but repentance, yeah, that's something I did in 1973 at the Billy Graham crusade. Like, I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I repented or whatever. The reality is, there can be a lot of confusion about what repentance means. And so what I'd like to do this morning is talk about what it is. What is this thing called repentance? How does it work? Like, how, what is it? How does it work? And then what are some things that we often confuse with it? So, so what is repentance? How does it function? How does it work? And then what are some things that are, might be close but no cigar? Yeah, it might, might smell like repentance, might kind of feel like it, but it's actually not. What it is, how it works, and what it's not, if you were, how we confuse it with that, all right? So that's where we're headed. I want to jump right into Jonah here, but before we do, let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, give us. What we have not, show us. For Jesus' sake, we ask, amen. So if you've been tracking along with us, here is Jonah He's just been spat out onto dry land. The last 36 hours must have seemed like an eternity to him. He was in a massive storm, thrown overboard into this wild sea, almost drowned, spent time praying inside of a fish. All of this would have been so vivid in his memory as he sits there on the beach catching his breath, perhaps pulling fish guts off of himself, going, did that really just happen? And maybe he's wondering, well, I'm a bit of a rat bag. The Lord showed me mercy, but maybe, just maybe, because I'm a rat bag, he's moved on to someone else. But no, the Lord comes to him 
a second time. Can you see that? Despite Jonah's disobedience, God in his grace gives Jonah a second opportunity. Then the word of the Lord, verse 1, came to Jonah a second time. The Lord hasn't changed his plan. His intention is to save the wicked city of Nineveh. Here's also what hasn't changed, the message. Can you see that in verse 2? Jonah's not at liberty to say what he wants, only what God tells him to say. Arise, verse 2, go to the city, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so he's off now to this great city. And it took him, it says, if you're following along in the text, three days. It's a three days journey in breadth. Now, that could mean that that, given, remember, this is the capital city of Assyria, right? And so that he, it takes him, the city is so massive, it takes him three days to walk around the circumference of it. That could be what that means. Or it could be something like the central coast in that there are sort of, it's broken up, Nineveh is broken up into sort of four regions as it were, right? The central coast has like, I don't know how many suburbs, but if you were to walk to each suburb, it would take you, I'm assuming, three, you know, go way out west, go north, go south, it'd take you roughly three days. Not sure what that means. That's not really what's important though. What's interesting is what he says. I mean, it has taken so much time to get this bloke to this place, and then it seems like his message is albeit a bit, well, brief. I mean, look, look, look what he says here in verse 4. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, is that all that he said? You know, walks up to people, hi, my name is Jonah. 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Hey, my name's Jonah. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Wait, what did he say? I don't know. There he goes. He's going. He's gone. He's off to now another suburb. It, it, I, I, undoubtedly... He said a whole lot more than this, but what this is doing here is just condensing down his message. I mean, if all he said was, 40 more days and never will be overthrown, do you really think the king would go, oh, pull his hair out and call a fast? No, no, he's, he's calling out a clear message. He's saying, God is displeased with you. You need to turn to him. You need to repent. Shove, right? Or if you don't, this city is going to be overthrown. Now, look at this model of, look at how they react. Notice verse 5. It's a great model of repentance. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And he called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So they didn't just believe God, but notice they believed in God. And how was their belief displayed? Well, by their outward obedience, by repentance. The people of Nineveh believed in the God that Jonah preached. 
And they match their inward belief by their outward actions, by putting on, it's like this thick, coarse cloth usually made of goat's hair. It's what people did to show that they are mourning, to showing a season of rejecting earthly comforts and pleasures. And they're fasting. That's usually what you did at a funeral. So there's no funeral going on here. But what are they mourning over? What are they, what are they feeling sorrowful over? Well, it's their sin, right? It's their wickedness. And, and notice this, this fast isn't just for the common people over here, like the blue-collar working class. It says that from the greatest of them to the least, every social and economic class humble themselves before Almighty God. Even the king got down off his throne and exchanged his royal robes with sackcloth to say, look, I'm not the king at the end of the day. The Lord is the king. Look at verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Notice this man, everybody, everybody, even the animals, even your dogs, everybody, to show this like we, we are dead serious about this. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. There's the key. Let everyone turn. Remember that shav. That's the, that's the word there. Let everyone chuck a yui. They're going this direction, which leads to destruction. Chuck a yui. Turn to God. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe God won't wipe us out. And that's exactly what happens when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. What happened? The Lord relented of the disaster he said he would do. So repentance, as Dan was just talking about, guys, remember the, you know, the flip-out illustration. It is, kids, you remember, it's a change of direction. That is to turn from, really, it really means, besides the flip-out stuff, that gives you a, a visual, but spiritually, guys, what it means is to turn from trusting in yourself, your own morality, to turning from your sin, all the ways that you've offended God and turning to Him in faith. Basically, repentance calls for a repudiation of the, your old life and a turning to God. See, when the Bible speaks about trusting in God, it connects trust with repentance. It connects trust with repentance. Isaiah 55, "'Seek the Lord while He may be found.'" Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, listen, forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see how here, both repentance from sin and coming to God for pardon, you see how they're mentioned together there? They go hand in hand. Or take... A New Testament example. 
You're like, well, that's the Old Testament. Okay. Paul loved this church in Thessalonica. He loved this church. He, he raved about them. And one of the things that he says, you, why these guys were so awesome, not so much them themselves, but he says this in Thessalonians 1.9, you, referring to the church there, you turn to God from idols. You see that? Turn. You chuck to you, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. You turn to God from idols, and the turning to God involved the abandonment of idols. You guys didn't synchronize your idolatry with Christianity. You get that? You didn't say, well, we're going to accept Jesus as Savior, and maybe in 20 years accept Him as Lord. We're going to hold our idols in one hand and our Bibles in the other. No, he says, you chucked your idols in the bin. And that's why I could say to you guys, the church there, you actually get this. You get the gospel. Now, this is all throughout the pages of Scripture. Let me show you an example that might actually surprise you. Go way to the left in your Bibles to still the Old Testament, the book of Judges. It's a fascinating book. I mean, my goodness, it, if you made it into a movie, it'd be rated R at least. And in this season, the nation of Israel has entered into the promised land. They've not kept the covenant. And because of that, God, yet instead of wiping them out, in His grace is actually sending them these deliverers, these judges. And, and these judges, which means a deliverer, a type of savior, um, they're not a judge in the sense that they have like a gavel. They're judged in the sense that they're like a military leader. And so they're, they're pushing away the enemies. Um, and, and each judge progressively seems to get worse in the book. It starts off with like a pretty good judge, decent guy, and then it just goes downhill to the last judge is Samson, right? A womanizing, lying, horrible person, right? Fabio of a, of a man, right? And so... Here in Judges 10, to sort of capture God's, I guess, uh, disposition towards His people here in Judges 10, and it, it's a great, a great reminder of chucking the idols in the bin, actually turning from sin. Judges chapter 10, verse 8, verse 6, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines, into the hands of the Ammonites. And they crushed, look, look, look at this, and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year for 18 years. They oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Ammonites, which is in Gilead. Eighteen years they were oppressed. Eighteen years. May 2005. Since then. I wasn't even married. I didn't even have kids back then. I was engaged, so I was, I was happy. My wedding day was coming. I mean, like, I, I wasn't even... I was still very young, like 18 years. Some of you weren't even born 18 years ago. Some of you were kids 18 years ago. From that time, since May 2005, 
Australia has been surrounded by all of these, I'm metaphorically speaking here, been surrounded by these enemy nations who's, who, are, who are taking your money and, 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 and oppressing you. That's, that's a stitch-up, right? I mean, you, uh, you have no idea. We, you, this nation's never even ever experienced, like the closest thing was like World War II when Darwin or something was bombed and, and things like that, but there's nothing like that for 18 years. This nation's never even experienced anything like that. I've never experienced anything like that. For 18 years, they're crushed. Why? Because of their sin. The Lord's using the club of these other nations. And so, how are they going to react? Well, they're distressed, right? Look at, look at verse 9. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim. So Israel was severely distressed. Yeah, you think? And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you. So they know what they did was wrong, right? They, they know this is not just a stitch up randomly. This is not just, oh, you're a bit unlucky. No, for 18 years, this is our fault. So they acknowledge that we've sinned against you, God, and, and we serve the Baals, verse 11. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, now, this might just blow your mind. The Lord said to the people of Israel, did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. Yet, you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in your time of distress. Oh, you're doing it tough? Why don't you just pray to Buddha and Allah then? Oh, you're doing it tough? Call out to your government. See if they can bail you out. Oh, you're doing it tough? Why don't you just pray to your, the god of sport? Oh, you're doing it tough? Why don't you pray to the god of your surfboard in the beach? Oh, you're doing it tough? Why don't you pray to trusting in your... Why don't you pray to your boss? Yeah, just go pray to your boss. Is this in the Bible? Like, oh, you're, oh you're, I'm sorry. You're doing it tough? And so they go, oh, Lord, we get it. We get it. All right. Give us a swat. We'll cop it on the chin, but please save us like, like now. Look, look, what, look at the next verse here. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. <laughs> we get it, God. We, we, we messed up. Just bail us out. No response. Nothing. Silence on the other line. Until something happens, which is the following verse. Notice, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Do you understand? It wasn't until they chucked their idols in the bin and actually repented that God said, now I'll rescue you. See, repentance, friend, is foundational. It's a foundational element of the gospel. A lot of people have this shrink-wrapped view of the gospel that says, do you believe Jesus loves you? Yes. Do you want to go to heaven when you die? 
Yes. Okay, wonderful. Make sure with every head bowed and every eye closed, I see that hand, I see that hand. Someone, Dan, get up here, play the play, come on, play the music, come on. Come just as you are. Oh, we're all gonna cry about it. That's, but that's, that's not, that's not what repentance is. It's not just feeling sorry for a few minutes and then going on and living your life. It's not just coming, it's not just walking an aisle and praying a prayer. Repentance, listen, if it's removed from the gospel, if, if, if your message is just believe, believe, you don't, you know, just believe this set of facts, it doesn't really matter how you live your life, it doesn't really matter what you do after this little emotional moment, if, you, if that's how you proclaim the gospel, hear me, it's easy to accept but powerless to save. There is no gospel in that. In the Old and New Testaments, you have to understand, faith and repentance go hand in hand. When a person is born again, it's not that they first turn from sin and then trust in Christ, or first trust in Christ and later in life turn from sin. But they go hand in hand. It's two sides of the same coin. Picture one side says faith, the other side says repentance. Now, some of you, particularly, I'd say those of you that are probably about 40 and 50 and 60, might cringe a little bit at me saying this because you've been fed a, a load of rubbish called easy believism. Now, I'm not just singling you out if you're over 50. Some of you might still have this idea, which basically says, well, look, repentance is an optional thing. In other words, I can believe in Jesus as Savior now, live like the devil, and maybe in 20 years I can start walking with God as Lord. That's not true. That's, listen, friend, that's just unbiblical. So let me, if you're like, no, it's not. Who do you think you are? Let's look at a couple passages that clearly smash to bits this idea of easy believism. We'll start with Speaking of smashed to bits, we'll start with the hammer himself, Ezekiel. Look what Ezekiel 33 says. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Now you're like, oh, yeah, but look, that's, that's Ezekiel. We all know he's been an intense bloke, especially if you've been following along in the Bible reading plan. I'm a follower of Jesus, Rob, not of these Old Testament prophets. All right, well, that's okay, fair enough, fair enough. How did Jesus Christ, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, how did, he, how, how did that bloke begin his ministry? Mark 1.5, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see that? Repent, believe. And later on when Jesus' teaching and his ministry was in full swing, great crowds or around him, you could probably feel the momentum. You know, a crowd attracts a crowd. I bet you, like, if there was, if we doubled this size next week, which would just stress Dan and I out, to tell you the truth. But if we just doubled in size and then we tripled in size, like, I don't think Dan and I would be fist pumping. Like, we'd be like, what are we going to do? But 
it would, you'd, let's be honest, it, it'd feel pretty exciting, right? Like, it'd be like, whoa, man, like, there's, there's people way out, like, let's move to the car park, and I'm, like, preaching, it's like a big crowd, and whoa, this is, whatever's happening here, we don't want to tamper with it, because, there's, this is a God thing, whoa, right? And, and, and Jesus takes the opportunity, and he says this, he says, if anyone, hey, listen, y'all, listen, didn't say y'all, he says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone, come, you guys want to come after me, want to be my disciples? Yeah, yeah? If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses for his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What is a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples this in Luke 24. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Is it, are, you, are you starting to see this easy believism? I hope you're starting to see it crumble a bit. Okay, what about the disciples? What about Peter? Well, remember, look what he said there in Luke 24. Notice, Beginning from Jerusalem, well, lo and behold, not long after this, one of his disciples who heard Jesus say this, exact words, was himself in Jerusalem preaching on the day of Pentecost. It's Peter. And God worked through Peter and through his sermon. And it says that when the people heard Peter preach, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, what must we do to be saved? Peter's response, walk an aisle. Pray a prayer. Get the emotional music going. No. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Are you starting to see that repentance is not an option, optional add-on? It's essential to the Christian faith and the Christian life and identifies those who have been born again. But hear me clearly. We are not saved by our repentance but our repentance gives evidence to the fact that we have been saved. We're not saved by our repentance, but repentance shows, displays, we actually have been saved. Maybe it's helpful if I give you a quote from Grudem, which I often do around here. Wayne Grudem has a helpful little tidbit here, and he says this about repentance. He says this in his systematic theology on repentance. He says, when we realize that genuine saving faith must be accompanied by genuine repentance for sin, it helps us to understand why some preaching of the gospel has such inadequate results today. If there is no mention of the need for repentance, and sometimes the gospel message becomes, believe in Jesus Christ and be saved, without any mention of repentance at all. But this watered-down version of the gospel does not ask for a wholehearted commitment to Christ. Commitment to Christ, if genuine, must include a commitment to turn from sin. Preaching the need for faith without repentance is preaching only half the gospel. It will result in many people being deceived, thinking that they have heard the Christian gospel and tried it, but nothing has happened. They might even say something like, I accepted Christ as Savior over and over again and it never worked. Yet they never really did receive Christ as their Savior, for He comes to us in His majesty and invites us to receive Him as He is, the one who deserves to be and demands to be 
absolute Lord of our lives as well. When Jesus Christ, friend, walked up to a bunch of bogan, rough fishermen who were probably dropping F-bombs, what does he do? Hey, guys, bow your heads, close your eyes. Can you ask me into your heart? Can, can I be your personal savior? No. Come and follow me. Burn your boats, guys. Take up your cross. Repent. Turn to me. You understand that following, that turning to Christ, it, it never stops. It's ongoing. It was for them, and it's for any disciple of Jesus today. There, there should be a regular brokenness over our sin and a turning to God because of it. Most of you have heard the famous 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Listen carefully. Don't just have the familiarity of that text because you heard that in a Baptist church once, right? Or, or somewhere else and you go, yeah, cool. Or you heard Billy Graham spit that out once. If you confess your sins, <gasps> he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. You hear the pluralness? It's, it's an ongoing contrition, brokenness, turning from your sin. Spurgeon helpfully said, we never leave off repenting because we never leave off sinning. We never leave off repenting because we never leave off sinning. That's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Yes, even you that have been a Christian for a long time, because a lot of people think that the gospel is simply and only what non-Christians must believe in order to be saved. But then you move on to the deeper things, right? The big stuff, the moral challenges and the how-tos of discipleship. But listen, once God rescues sinners, his plan isn't to steer them beyond the gospel, but to move them more deeply into it. The gospel, in other words, isn't just the power of God to save you. It's the power of God to grow you once you're saved. After all, the only remedy for sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And since Christians remain sinners, even after they're converted, the gospel must be the medicine that the dear saint takes daily. That's what repentance is. That's how it works. Now, what gets mixed up with repentance? We talked about what it is, talked about kind of how it functions. What's close but no cigar? give you two things. A lot more could be said, but I'll give you two. What do we confuse with repentance? The first is good intentions. Good intentions. You know, if you prayed a little prayer but didn't do anything in terms of changing, you had a great spiritual interest but not a turnaround. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives this fascinating little parable. He says this, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. 
Which of the two did the will of his father? Which one do you think did the will of his father there? One was a bit of a brown nose, but actually he was just phony and didn't do anything. The other one said, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to have a bar of it. But then actually changed his mind, did a, a chuck to Yui, and actually went and obeyed. Good intentions are not the same thing as repentance. You might have great intentions to drop that sin that's in your life. But just because you have good intentions to drop the sin in your life isn't the same as actually doing it. Oh, I hope to do this one day. Yeah, when? One day. It's not the same. And, it, and we can become, as sinners, as depraved people, very, very comfortable with uh, manana, meaning tomorrow, manana, 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 when it comes to repentance. I'll do that later. I'll do that later. I'm just not in a healthy place right now, so I'll do that later. Look, I'm just really, I'm real chock-a-block right now with work, so I'll do that later. Jesus says, you repent today. You turn, you chuck a Yui today. The other thing we can confuse with repentance is feeling bad, feeling sorry. Often when we feel bad, we feel bad about it, we, you know, we consider it done and dusted. We've repented. You know, but if you think about it, the rich young ruler went away sorry. Remember Jesus? The rich young ruler comes to him and he goes, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, hey, look, that's, that's great. Go sell all you have and, and follow me. And he went away sorry. But that sorrowfulness wasn't actual repentance. He's, notice he spat the dummy. He actually walked away from following Jesus. Like he, it's not like, and, and Jesus goes, look, points at that bloke and says, oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Like, and he's not going, oh, but you know, this guy's the exception. It's, it's, it's the opposite. He's saying, look at this guy. I mean, the guy feels kind of bad. He's kind of, you know, kicking rocks probably. Oh man, I thought I could have my cake and eat it too. And Jesus goes, hey, so hard, so difficult for people that just feel bad about things, but they don't actually turn. Repentance is not just, you know, feeling bad about sin or even shedding a tear about it. No, 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 unless it's coupled with a sincere decision to forsake your sin and to walk into obedience of Christ, you're, you're, you're actually deceived, friend. You actually think that just because you felt bad about something, you've actually repented. You know, sometimes we're often quite good at conviction but lousy at application, Right? We're often quite quick to feel bad. Oh, I feel really bad. I feel really bad. And, and, and most human beings, not all, but most human beings have somewhat of a conscience, right? They, they feel like, you feel bad, like, oh, didn't give my mom a Mother's Day card today or, you know, what, whatever it might have been. Oh, I feel, I feel bad. I feel, well, the way you can do it next year is just, you know, actually give her the Mother's Day card, right? Imagine, you keep going to your mom. I didn't plan on saying this. It's Mother's Day, right? You keep going to your mom. Oh, sorry, next year I got it. I'm really, I feel really bad. I feel really bad. It's, but it's until something actually changes. And that's just a dumb illustration, but um, you get the point, right? Or, or if you feel bad, it's the same thing in a marriage. You, oh, I felt really bad because I was short with my spouse. And you say to them, oh, I just feel really bad. Well, that's nice. Maybe I'm sorry and don't, and don't keep doing it? Uh, well, but I feel bad. That's nice. 
good. <laughs> Stop doing it. You see what I mean? It, we can confuse repentance with just, uh, I, feel, I feel really cut up about this. And, and I even cried when I went to that, 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 you know, that conference. Or I listened to this song on, on the drive. I mean, it didn't stop me from continuing to do things physically with my boyfriend or girlfriend, but, you know, I felt really bad in that moment. Felt really bad about it. Didn't really stop me from continuing in this sin that I'm doing, but I felt really bad about it. It's not the same. You understand? We can be, we can be so, so deceived by this. When you repent, something has to change. Something has to be different. How you live. When Jesus called people to repent, remember in the beginning of Mark's gospel? When he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he wasn't expecting people to go give just some huge emotional response. Like, it means to turn. When John the Baptist said the same thing, he wasn't just wanting people to, like, start crying, but actually, like, stop sinning. Turn to Christ. So be careful, friends, that you're not confusing true repentance with good intentions or just feeling bad. True repentance is turning to Christ. And, you know, no matter where you're at right now, if you're in Christ, let's just say those of us that are Christians, we're called to repent. We're called to turn. It's a daily thing. That's what marks out a believer. And for those of you that haven't turned to Christ yet, you are, you are headed on a road for destruction. You know, it, it, would be the most, it would be the most sadistic thing in the world if I said this. If I cheapened hell and I said something like, Oh, dear friend, you're headed for eternity, a Christless eternity. Who cares? You are headed where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the fire does not go out, and you will be burned forever. I mean, I, I just, you ever been like burned on the stovetop, right? Oh gosh, put it under cold water, whatever you do. I think about that from time to time. Whenever I get burned, I think, okay, imagine that times however many, not just for an entire day or a week. Just think about this. 50 years. Some of us live for, I haven't lived for 50 years yet. 150 years. 200 years, 1,000 years, 5,000 years, 10,000 years, the gates of hell are still locked. You're not going anywhere. I don't know what's worse, by the way, the agony or the realization that you're not going anywhere for eternity. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you've been in a bad job or a bad relationship, you think, oh, there's, there, I can, eventually I can get out of this, right? But not with hell. Not with hell. No. No. The gates are locked. You'll never get out after a million years, which if you can, I can't even fathom, I can't even fathom a million years, two million years, 500 million, a billion years, five billion, 500 billion years. Some, you know what's just crazy? Some of you right now can hear that and go, eh, And some of you, if, if the roof collapsed on us, some, some of you right now would go to hell. That's it. 
It's not like God's going to go, oh, I, you know what? I saw your intentions, and I knew in a couple years from now, you'd, you know, you're just in a dark place, and you turn around. No, no, no. You're going to go to hell forever. Is that just not the heaviest thing in the world? I mean, I, that, that just gets me. I, just, I often wonder about the psychology of people in hell. Like, what, what goes in their minds right now? Because you'd know, oh, someone would have given you the memo. You'd, I, don't know, I don't know if there's talking going on. Probably, I know there's screaming down there, but that's it. Forever. But listen, I know I probably sound like a fiery Baptist preacher up here. I'm a, Bap- I'm a Baptist. Yeah. Baptistic. You don't have to. That's the road, that's, that's where you're headed for eternity. But you can turn, you can repent today. That doesn't have to be your eternity. And, and you know what? Why? Because Christ paid every one of your sins if you turn to him. Christ stood in your place condemned. And you need to turn to him, turn from your sin and trust in that alone. Trust in the good news of the gospel. That, that, that's it. So, so there's your option. And you know what? Let me say this. This might be a secular place. Everyone, and I, everyone's listening to me. I can just, I've got all the eyes. Probably more eyes now than I had the whole sermon. You have no excuse. Zero. You have zero excuse if you've just heard this. In fact, I can stand before God and said, like, if the world came into him now, I can stand and I can say, I told him, Lord, blood's off my hands. I, like, I, I, seriously, I told you, you've been warned. Repent, turn to Christ, turn to him for the forgiveness of your sins so that your sins may be blotted out and you spend eternity. And look, not only eternity, forget the fire insurance for a minute, what do you think you're here for? What do you think God, cre- it's to know him, to delight in him. It, that's better than any surf, any dumb sport, any Mother's Day card that you'll have in the bin in five days. All that stuff is just passing. Everything you can, uh, even your favorite thing, whatever that is right now, that's just all just going away. You, you, the eternal God who, who lives in unapproachable light, who made you, who keeps Air going through your lungs as I'm talking to you right now is giving you ears to hear. You get to know that eternal God and delight in There's nothing better on this earth. So it's not just, you know, you'd be forgiven, you get, you know, a dodge hell, but, but anything that you've sort of loved and desired and chased right now, it pales in comparison knowing God Almighty and walking in obedience to Him. Seriously. So what are you going to do? Turn to Christ turn to Christ. Don't wait. Don't hold this off. Don't think good intentions are going to cut the mustard. It's not. Turn to Christ. I'm going to pray now, and I'd encourage you. We're not going to, I'm not going to have Dan come up here on the piano and have you come down the aisle and all the things I was just teasing, but you can call out to Christ sitting there. You can, as I pray, you can turn to Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we praise you once again for this wonderful message that never gets old. It is 
It is soul-saving, Lord. It is for those that have believed in you, the right to become children of God. And Lord, we know that there are people here that in their own pride and stubbornness, whatever the situation might be, their love for comforts, they have yet to turn to you. Lord, would you grant them repentance now? They'll never do it on their own. We pray, Lord, in your sovereign grace that you would work a miracle even now. Lord, enable them to cry out to you that you would save them and regenerate their hearts. Lord, for those of us that are saved, we, what a wonderful reminder that repentance is not a, it's not a one-off. It's not a one-time thing, Lord, but this is an ongoing thing. We never leave off repenting because we never leave off sinning. And Lord, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for your work on the cross. Lord, now as we shift our time to reflecting upon your work on the cross, your body broken, your blood shed for us, may we continue to worship and praise you for saving us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.